things that we do in advance of Pesach is we kasher our kitchens and our kalim for Pesach. So I want to talk a little bit today about the basics of Haga'ala, of kashering utensils for Pesach. The basic idea of Haga'ala is that uh, we assume that when utensils are used, with hot at least, that some of the flavor of whatever it was used with gets absorbed in the kli, and in order to draw out that flavor from the kli, you have the, the basic guiding principle is kibolo kachpolto. The same way it was absorbed in the kli, it's going to be that same level of heat and that same, uh, that, that same method of heat that's going to bring out the flavors from the kli and therefore uh, kasher it. Now there is a major difference between what we call libun and what we call hag'ala. Libun is when we completely obliterate the flavors through very, very intense heat. You do what's called libun chamur, for example, you get it to 950 degrees and it burns out any flavor that's there. Hag'ala works a little differently. Hag'ala is that it draws out the flavor. Let's say you do hag'ala in a pot of water and you stick the fork, the, the chametz fork, into the pot of water. The flavor is drawn out from the fork into the water and then it becomes batel in the shishim, in the 60 times the amount of water to the, uh, to the chametz that was, in, that was in the fork. But there's a very big difference between libun and hagala in the sense that libun destroys the flavor, hagala draws out the flavor. And because of that, there are a number of nafkaminas lemaisa, but most critically, it's that before one does hagala, one has to wait 24 hours uh, before, after having last used the kli. Before doing libun, not necessary to wait 24 hours, because after all, libun is just going to destroy whatever's there anyway. The idea of waiting 24 hours is that we only want a kasher once the tam is a tam pagum, and we assume that the taste becomes rancid after 24 hours. Otherwise, we're concerned that the tam is going to go right back into the kli after it was drawn out. What's to stop it? from re-entering the kli. So if it's a tam pagum that's after 24 hours, we're not so concerned if it re-enters the kli because the tam pagum is not going to destroy anything anyway. Now, because of that, because uh, the tam pagum might re-enter the kli, we would not kasher with hagala on Pesach. We would only kasher with... uh, with Hagala before Pesach, because we assume that on Pesach, Lisa Rama assumes that on Pesach, a Tam Pagum is going to affect, uh, because of Chumr de Chametz, even a Tam Pagum of Chametz could affect the Kli, so we would not do Hagala on Pesach. Libun, we could even do on Pesach, because if it's completely obliterating any flavor, so that would, uh, that would be fine. So just some basics about Hagala. First of all, what types of kalim can be kashered? So what there's no doubt about is that metal kalim, stone kalim, wood kalim, leather kalim, if there are such a thing, uh, according to Rav Moshe, rubber kalim, those things can all be kashered with Hagala. What certainly cannot be kashered with Hagala is Kleicheres, uh, China, these kinds of things. Uh, we we paskin, the Ramah paskins, that glass requires, uh, that glass is bolea. It can become not kosher, but it cannot be kosher. It has a din like a Kleicheres, and therefore those things cannot be kashered with Hagala. Then there's like a middle category, the maybe category, and that would include, most critically for us, plastic. Not just plastic, nylon and 
perhaps Corningware and Pyrex and other things, uh, Formica very critically, a lot of uh, countertops are made of uh, Formica, Teflon, these kinds of, of items, these are all subject to a machlokas. Some hold Hagala may be done, others hold Hagala may not be done, others hold yes, but not for Pesach, because Chumrah Dechameitz, we're extra strict about this. This is very Nogeya when it comes to kashring dishwashers, because most dishwashers, the inside of the dishwasher is at least partially and often entirely plastic. So can you kashr it for Pesach would depend on, on, this, uh, on this issue. Um, now, Mishabura writes in Simtafnan Aleph, Sivkat and Chav Gimel. I'm not going to mention all the Marmakomos throughout the course of this 10 minutes here because uh, they're all basically straight from the Mishabura. But the Mishabura writes that uh, anything that would get ruined during Hagala uh, cannot be kashered because we're afraid that you're not going to do a proper Hagala because you're going to be so afraid of damaging the Kli. But if you did Hagala on something that there is a concern that it might get ruined, the Aruch HaShulchan in Tafnun Aleph, Sivchaf, says that Bidiyevit it works. However, it seems that many other posts can disagree with that and would assume that even Bidiyevit, it should not be used. If it was used, it doesn't trafe up the food, but really something that, uh, that it would get ruined from Hagala, we really try our best to avoid doing Hagala on, on any such thing. Now, um, what requires Hagala and what requires Libun? Because as we said, Libun uh, is, is a much more serious, much more uh, severe form of uh, kashring. Hagala is, uh, let's start with Libun. Libun is required whenever you have something that comes in direct contact with fire. A barbecue grate, something like that. Where uh, even a frying pan, most postum are machmir, that, uh, should require, uh, that, that it should require libun. So libun is required on anything, and that's what the Ramah writes in Tafnun Aleph, Sivkat Nir Aleph, and the Mishabur there in Sivkat and Samach Zayin, that even a frying pan probably requires libun, and not just Hagala. Uh, but if you have something that has a liquid, and with that liquid, that's placed on the fire, like a pot that you put on top of a stove, a spoon that you use to stir food that's in a pot. That's where Hagala is useful. Hagala is also useful if you have, uh, let's say, forks, knives, spoons that you normally use to eat food out of a klisheni. That's certainly Hagala would, uh, would, would work and, uh, and, and, and uh, Hagala would be necessary. Anything that only comes into contact with cold food probably does not require Hag'ala. There are other methods of kashering if it needs kashering at all. That gets already into details of, uh, of, of uh, how long it sits, the cold food sits, in such kalim. Now, how do you know whether uh, the type of kli you're, you want to kasher, whether it's a libun kli or a Hag'ala kli? So we just said, it depends how it's used. But what if you have something that's used sometimes in one way and other times in another way? Do we follow Rov Tashmisha, the majority of its usage, to determine what way to kashru it? Or do we look at whatever the, the worst case scenario was? Its most intense uh, balia, a flavor, that's what we're going to try to get out of it. So this is a machlokas between the Machaber and the Rambah. The Machaber holds that we go basar Rov Tashmisha the majority of the usage, and therefore if you have something that is, uh, let's say you have a spoon, that bederech klal, you use it to eat soup out of a klisheni, and sometimes you'll mix uh, something in the tavshil that's, that's on the fire with it, 
according to the Shulchan Aruch, you can follow Rov Tashmisha, and you can do Agala even in a Klisheni. You don't even have to do Agala in a Klirisham, but the Ramah disagrees. The Ramah says you follow the worst it's ever had, because you got to get those flavors out too, so it's very logical what the Ramah says. If it was even used once, let's say with direct heat on the fire, then, then you're going to need Libun, because what are you going to do about those flavors otherwise? You need to, to, to be choshish for the worst type of flavor it ever received, the most intense type of flavor it ever received, and that's what we're machmir lechadchila, like the Ramah. If it's a shas hadchak, so the Mishabura says that uh, maybe there's room to be mekil, like the shita of the Mechaber, especially since there are significant, significant Rishonim on each side of that uh, Machlokas. Okay, so practically speaking, let's say you decide to be a tzaddik and you're going to volunteer to do all the kashering in the kitchen, or at least to kasher all of the silverware, let's say. So what do you need to do in order to kasher the silverware? So first thing you want to make sure is that whatever you're kashering uh, should not have even, uh, even rust should be removed. It should not have any dirty spots on it because there's a concern that there might be small particles of food that are still stuck underneath the rust, between the rust and the clean. Now, if you could feel it and it's smooth, it's just discolored, so that's nothing. That doesn't, uh, that's uh, just a discoloration of the clean. That's nothing to worry about. The reason you have to make sure that, uh, that all the food is gone uh, is that Hagala only works to solve the problem of taste that's absorbed in the kli that is not actual mamashas. But if you have actual mamashas, you have actual food there, Haggalah is not going to help you to destroy something that's at its actual substance. So you need to make sure, first and foremost, that the, the kli is entirely cleaned. Um, the, uh, the, because of that, if you have a kli that for whatever reason cannot be cleaned, Shulchan Aruch points out, you cannot do Hagala on such a kli. So if there are uh, cracks or crevices in the kli that food could easily get stuck, like in a food processor, in a blender, or something, a sieve, a strainer that Ramah talks about, so it's impossible to clean out entirely. Rav Meisha held that that was the problem with the dishwasher. He thought that in the racks of a dishwasher, Food gets stuck and it's impossible to get the food out of the racks of a dishwasher. That's difficult to understand the metzios, because if you ever look at the racks of a dishwasher, you very rarely will see food that's stuck, that's impossible to, uh, to get out. But be that as it may, places that, are, that, that, are, that you can't clean out cannot have uh, Hagala done. Handles and covers of pots also have to be cleaned, just like the clean itself. Um, in order to do Agala. Now again, our minag is that we wait 24 hours since the last usage before doing Hagala. We're not going to do Agala unless it hasn't been used in, uh, in 24 hours. There is a further Machlokas HaPoskim. Hasn't been used for what in 24 hours? Hasn't been used for Chametz in the last 24 hours? Or hasn't been used at all in the last 24 hours? This is, uh, so, so the, the uh, Mishabur recommends trying to be machmir about that and trying to use only things that haven't been used at all in the last 24 hours. However, uh, if it's only been used for cold in the last 24 hours, then there's no doubt that that's okay. For example, a lot of times people like to kasher on Motsai Shabbos. So let's say this year, Pesach, first night, first Seder is Monday night. So a lot of people will want to kasher on Motsai Shabbos. 
but they have to make sure that their sinks haven't been used in 24 hours before they cash their sink. And they didn't until they see a dayim in their sink on Shabbos, and they uh, maybe poured something down the drain in their sink. They had something, some dishes on Shabbos. Yeah, but if it was Shabbos, they weren't using any hot water. And if there was no hot water being used in the sink, that's fine. That doesn't count against the clock of 24 hours. The number one question I always get is, uh, when you're doing the kashering, what kind of pot should you use? Should you use a Pesach pot or should you use a Chametz pot? Either one would work. Better to use a kosher Lepesach pot. Um, the, uh, the, if you're going to use a Chametz pot, then it's critical that that pot also have had 24 hours go by uh, since its last usage. Um, the uh, the minig is that we also kasher the kli itself before using it as a uh, as a uh, as something that you're going to do agala with, and um, if you need that ka- that pot for Pesach to kasher it again after doing the uh, the hagala. Nishabura recommends doing that in simantafnim beis sif katan yud. Um, now, if the volume of the water in the pot is 60 times greater than the volume of the kalim that you're putting in then you don't need to do another agal on the pot afterwards, but just in case we, uh, we do it, because it's hard to calculate things like that. Um, similarly, if you're kashering from non-kosher to kosher, the non-kosher kli should be put in a kosher pot. The kosher pot should be the hagala pot. So here's what you do. You, you have all your clean kalim, all your forks, knives, spoons, they're all absolutely clean now, and they haven't been used in 24 hours. You take this giant kosher lefesach pot, you fill it up with water. You boil it up. Boiling means you get it to till bubbles appear, till it's actually boiling. And then you take one by one, you take the kalim and you dip them in the pot. How long should you leave them in the pot? Mishabura says, eh, difficult to measure exactly. Not too short, not too long. What? What does that mean, not too short, not too long? Well, not too short a time because you need enough time for the flavor that's absorbed in the kli to leave the kli. Not too long, because you don't want to give it so much time that the flavor that has just left the kli will go right back into the kli. So even though if it were to happen that it would go right back into the kli, it wouldn't be the end of the world, because it's a tampagum, and probably and you have shishim in the water, connected, whatever that flavor is, but ideally, you put it in for a little bit, a couple of seconds, you let the water come to a boil again, because sometimes just putting the kli in cools down the water a little bit, a couple of seconds. If you can't fit the entire kli in at one time, so you could put it in piece by piece, half of the kli for a couple of seconds, then the other half of the kli for a couple of seconds, and then the minig is that right after, and this is only a minig, that right after we do the agala, we rinse the kli with cold water. The idea of that minig is, again, we don't want it to reabsorb the tam that it just lost. So we want to rinse it off with cold water right afterwards so that it won't, uh, it won't reabsorb all that, uh, all, all that, that, that tam. There is a minig, minig Ashkenazim, not Spartan, but Ashkenazim have a minig, Magen Avram quotes, that in general we don't do kashering from milchigs to fleshigs except for Pesach. That if, let's say, you want to have, you have one nice set of silverware 
and you'd like to use it for both milks and flashings. So each time you want to use it, you just keep kashring it back and forth, milks and flashings. So for obvious reasons, that's not a very good idea. So the Magnavram says that the minute is that we don't do that. We don't cash things back and forth for milks and flashings. So sometimes, you know, you, you inherited Bubby's, uh, you know, uh, milk instead of, uh, of, of, of flatware, but it's so nice and you want to use it for flashings, so you already have a really nice set of milks. You want to use this for flashings. So what does the rabbi recommend? Wait till Pesach and come Pesach, you'll be able to cash it. Sephardim don't have such a minute. And Rav points out that in commercial kitchens, you probably don't have to worry about any. Uh, probably don't have to worry about this minute. It's only when dealing in one's personal home where it's likely that a person is going to get confused. That one has to uh, one has to be concerned with this minhag. Um, the anything else I'm missing. Um, yeah, so so that's that's the basic process of uh, of Hagalas Kalim as we know it, and that's uh, what you will be doing in your kitchens on Erev Pesach. Okay.